My guest today previously appeared on our podcast in episode 25, where we had a great discussion about the interplay between staff and elected official. For anyone with an interest in municipal politics or thinking about running or currently there, I highly recommend a listen. My guest is a former CAO for the region of Waterloo from 2004 to 2020. He had been employed by the region starting in 1992. He was at the core of some of the most transformative years in the history of Waterloo Region. I'm pleased to welcome back to the Old Grey Mares podcast, my guest today to continue our discussion on the ION journey, Mike Murray. Mike, welcome from your... Hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, looking out at the rolling hills of Grey County. So it's good to be back. And like I said, the last time you had me back, it's always nice to be invited back to something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you, well, you get invited once, but when you get invited back, must have done something right. So I'm happy well, to be back. Mike, look, you're you're an easy discussion and an informative discussion. So, you know, and I think it's important to, you know, this is like a, uh, an oral history of uh, some of the things that happened. It may not be always 100% accurate or detailed or, or what have you, but at least it's something that uh, we've got to hold on to. Um, now, you're uh, you're busy on a transit project right now, aren't you? Well, I'm doing a little bit of work with the city of Hamilton on uh, the Hamilton LRT project. So it's uh, it's been another crazy roller coaster of a rapid transit project, but it's I'm going to say getting back on track. And uh, yes, it's a, Metro, it's a Metrolinx project, uh, but it goes right through the heart of the city of Hamilton. So um, yes. they're trying to work out all of the interfaces, which is going to be really interesting and challenging for everybody. For all the squabbles about two tier regional government, we certainly showed that the two tier could perform admirably better than the one tier <laughs> did with on if you just looked at the LRT projects. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we, will, that, that, we can save that whole discussion for, you know, yet another podcast, uh, the pros and cons okay. of two tier versus one tier government. How's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, interesting, though, the Hamilton project, I understand it's a, like a $3.4 billion project. Yes, it has about $3.4 billion of federal provincial funding committed to it, and it'll be built by Metrolinx, owned by Metrolinx, the province of Ontario. And it's, uh, I think, about a 15-kilometer LRT with maybe about 15 stations, so uh, smaller than uh, the region of Waterloo's LRT project, and yeah. it's going to cost about three times more. So <laughs> Unbelievable. Yes, congratulations on behalf of the people of the region of Waterloo. I want to congratulate you uh, on delivering uh, uh, such a great project. But okay, so last podcast, you know, we got talking about the history, which I thought was important. So it led us up to a point. And uh, we stopped at uh, where I got sort of uh, had uh, the pleasure and the privilege of a, a, a chair ringside uh, for the next four years. Uh, and that's the uh, inauguration uh, in January of, of 2011 of the new regional council. And it always stands out for one, first of all, it stands out because, you know, I, I figured out where I was going to sit between Doug Craig and Sean Strickland. And I always said I couldn't have had a better spot between two very uh, active and passionate advocates <laughs> and knowledgeable, <Indeed. laughs> knowledgeable yeah. somewhat around the, around the horn. So I, I always said I had the best seat in the house, but, that day stood out for me because 
I remember during the campaign, the election campaign, now being a township mayor, you know, the, the LRT wasn't really a big issue uh, that we dealt with out there. And so it wasn't even, even when I was at the Rogers debate, I got asked about it and I thought it was strange I was getting asked about it. And I started, I just flipped that and talked about seniors transportation in our township and improving on that. But when I got there, and my kind of recollection was there was some concern about the amount of funding and the level of funding that we actually got versus what was going to be needed to build it. And I always thought it was a bit of a, a jeopardy with respect to the project. And I remember distinctly, Ken, I don't remember any other part of his speech other than I remember walking away from it thinking he really focused on we've got to move ahead with this project. The funding is there. We can't walk away from this funding. Do, do I have that right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's my recollection, too. And, um, you know, it had been about, uh, you know, five or six years of really solid work to get to that point. And all the things we talked about the last podcast, you know, the environmental assessment and looking right. at technology options and route options, all of the advocacy with federal and provincial governments to, to try to, you know, get the funding. So that had been, yeah, five or six really full on solid years of work. Uh, and so, you know, we had um, technology selected, we had routes selected, we had funding in place. And, you know, I think Ken was sending a pretty clear message like, you know, now it, either we're going to move ahead with it now or it's never going to happen. Yeah. But just on the funding side, was the expectation or was hope that feds, federal and provincial governments would fund the whole thing? I mean, what was the. You know, I think. Um, uh there were various messages from the province over the preceding, you know, three, four, five years. Uh, and, you know, at one point they had a list of projects that they were going to fund a hundred percent of, and then they backed off of that. Uh, so, you know, I think that was a bit of a roller coaster too. Um, right. But by 2010, um, you know, they both federal and provincial governments had made clear funding commitments, uh, $300 million of provincial funding, and $265 million of federal funding, which was about a third of the right. estimated cost of the project. So, you know, we had a little more than two thirds funding from federal provincial governments. And that meant the region was going to have to come up with uh, about uh, $300 million um, right, right. To, uh, to make up the difference. Yeah, it's just I remember um, there was an issue, like, for example, Sean Strickland, who's, you know, pretty sharp guy on on these sorts of things. And during the campaign, the election campaign, it said, well, I can't support a nine percent tax increase, which is understandable one time hit. But I guess that wasn't really the con concern because it wasn't going to be a one time hit like that. Is that uh yeah, so you know, so, so now we're sort of getting into okay, what you know, what what work went on um, after the election in 2010, right? right? Okay, so at that yeah. point, then we we finally knew. Okay, here's what the province is in for. Here's what the feds are in for. Here's what the estimated cost of phase one of the project was, which was about 818 million dollars. So then it was a matter of, okay, what? How can we actually finance that? What's the overall financing strategy? What are some other options or scenarios for implementing the project that might either reduce the cost a bit, might increase the cost a bit? So right. that was the work that went on in the first half of 2011. Was a lot of work to, to sort of um, fine tune, look again at uh, the project implementation options, look again at the financing options, 
How can we pay for it? And re-engage the public in public consultation. And the other thing we did was we reconvened, we had this expert panel and we reconvened the expert panel to basically review all of the work that had gone on and sort of give a unbiased third party view of, uh, you know, are we on the right track? Pardon the pun, but are we on the yeah, right track? But, but, but it was already, was it, it wasn't already determined what the route would be and uh, from where to where prior to that, or it was still yeah. somewhat up in the air. So in, in, uh, in 2009, uh, yeah. regional council had made a decision about LRT light rail transit is the preferred technology. Yes. Um, from the North end of Waterloo to downtown Cambridge. Okay. The Ainsley and street station. Ainsley right. street. Yeah. Yeah. And that the project would be built in two phases. Um, so, ah, so okay. those were decisions that regional council had made in 2009. Right. But that was, and that, you know, let us sort of finalize the ask to the federal and provincial governments, which we did. And yes. then to their credit, they did finally, after many years of advocacy, they finally stepped up and said, okay, yeah, yeah. we're committing money to this project. So then in 20, like by the fall of 2010, uh, then we finally knew how much money we had in the bank. Right. So, right. So and, and we're that, in the middle of an election as and well. We're in the middle of an election. Right. So basically staff just kind of left things alone, let the politics play out. Yeah. Uh, I think all of the councillors who supported light rail transit got reelected right. and, you know, chair ceiling sent a pretty clear message on inaugural day. Um, yes. You know, we're, we're getting along with this. Yeah. And uh, so then we had a lot of staff work to do to say, okay, how are we going to finance and implement this project? So, um, so, 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 yeah, because the ultimate decision date, so we're, we're, we're January and the ultimate decision date was in June of 2011, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're, so when we say six months, that's the six month period that we are talking about, yeah. so you have to fine tune some things uh, in terms of, um, is it firming up where the stations are going to be, for example, that sort of thing? It was more looking at um, scope of the project. Like, so uh, how, how, like where was going to be the, the start and end point of phase one? Uh, you know, was it going to be shorter? Was it going to be longer? Um, because of uh, the funding that was committed by the federal and provincial government. So we knew how much they were putting in the pot. Right. And so then we started to say, okay, well, if we, you know, left off a couple stations from the north end or a couple stations from the south end, you know, we could reduce the overall initial capital cost. Right. Uh, and then that also then meant, you know, the region's contribution would be more or less. Uh, so, so, so that was what the staff were looking at in the first half of um, 2011. 11, yeah. As, as, and, and also, you know, as we looked at those different scenarios, getting public input on, you know, what does the public see as pros and cons of different, um, I'm going to call it project scope um, right. scenarios. Yeah. So then uh, I don't know if you want to jump into, you know, where did we land with the, the recommendations? Yeah, we can go that. ahead. Sure. Yeah. So um, so after all of that work, um, where we landed with the recommendations was, you know, we should carry on with phase one from Fairview Mall or from um, Conestoga Mall, north end of Waterloo to Fairview Mall in Kitchener as phase one. And then phase two would be from Fairview Mall to Ainsley Street in Cambridge. Right. Um, the region's share uh, of the cost, I think, was about um, uh, 250 or 260 million or something like that. 
Right. And so, so then this was a big question. How do we finance that? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and as, as you mentioned, you know, uh, Sean Strickland said, look, we can't, we can't afford this with, uh, you know, just a one-time big whopping uh, tax rate system. increase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what we proposed was a financing strategy that was um, actually, it was 1.2% per year tax rate increase over um, a seven-year period. So that was to finance the light rail transit capital costs and to have enough money in the tax budget to pay the operating and maintenance costs when the system started up. Yeah, so you not only and, had to think about the capital cost part of it, which is how much you got to contribute, and that amount that you would have had to contribute the 250 or 260, would that have had to been paid like within a year or two years? Or, or how soon would you have had to pay that? Because I'm sure you had, you had to borrow or something to to finance yeah, that over time. Yeah, so, the, yeah, so that um, will come to some you know nuances related to that. But um, overall, we would have to pay that yeah. Um, as the project was getting built. So over a one or two or three year period. And typically when the region's bu building, you know, multi, multi, multi million dollar projects, um, we're typically borrowing. We're, right. We're yeah. 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 And it's fair uh, enough. But then, always, but then, then the always, tax rate impact hits in the next year. Yeah. 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 And I always joke uh, because a lot of times uh, you see it at, uh, at, at municipalities, you know, people who like maybe have a mortgage or whatever. And I mentioned this on another podcast, suddenly they become a counselor and you can't borrow a dime. <laughs> like It's like, yeah. well, yeah, then yeah, how yeah. can you get anything when you do that? The other thing I wanted to mention on that 9% uh, property tax hit when I ran for uh, mayor, uh, one of the issues that my opponent was always uh, talking about was I wanted a second pad, second ice pad for our facility. And she accused me of, uh, or she said that that would result in a 32% property tax increase. And I said, where have you ever heard of that? A 32% property tax increase anywhere. But oh, you know, be, people can- You'd be a short-lived short, short mayor. <laughs> That's right, you'd be pitchforked out of town or whatever. Yeah. So once that financing proposal, and, 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 and again, it included also because you have to consider the operating aspect of it too, right? And, and replacement, right? The operating and replacement of yeah, the so parts. Yeah, so it, it, it included operating and maintenance. Maintenance, and okay. And um, I'm going to say sort of life cycle type, not not full replacement, but things that needed to be done over a 30 year period. So, for instance, major refurbishment on the vehicles, it included that, but it didn't include, you know, full replacement of the rails in, you know, 50 or yeah. 60 years. So it included operating maintenance and what we call sort of life cycle type maintenance. The yeah. other thing, the other thing that, you know, I think. Uh, regional staff did a really good job of is saying, okay, this is 2011. We're working on this. We knew that the construction wouldn't actually take place until 2014, 2015. Right. And so we uh, also factored in inflation. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Like, who knows? The estimated, yeah. the estimated capital cost was in 2014 or 2015 dollars. Okay. Uh, so yeah. when we were looking at that, you know, future, um, financing requirements it included inflation the capital yeah. cost of the projects so of the region's 250 million dollar contribution and future operating and maintenance and life cycle that's and so important so, and, and all of that um, worked out to a 1.2 percent tax rate increase each year over a seven-year period 2012 to 2018 right and and rob and then i'm going to add a couple other things we also knew that 
to make this whole system work properly, we were going to have to significantly increase Grand River Transit bus service. Right. On all the cross corridors, right? And, and you know, part of the whole, um, you know, selling feature of this, this the, the LRT was it's going to be the spine of a system that's going to serve everybody. And so we knew we had to increase GRT service. And we also factored that in. So we baked in about a 0.3% per year tax rate increase to fund increased bus service. So that equaled the 1.5% per year. And I, I know okay. that number yeah, I was was say. In, I, I knew you were going to come back to that. It was one and a half percent per year. Right, right. But, uh, but part of that was okay. funding um, improved bus service to feed uh, uh, the new spine that we were going to build. And so, you know, again, I think regional staff did a good job of saying, you know what, we need to put it all together and not piecemeal this and not surprise people later and say, oh, well, by the way, in addition to this, right, we need right. more and more. So I thought, we, you know, we in hindsight, we did a pretty darn good job of saying, um, here's the all-in costs and here's the financing strategy. And uh, I'll go one step further. Yes. Um, and, and I know you want to dive in. But um, <laughs> there was also, uh, fortunately, there were some offsetting savings that were going to hit in subsequent region budget years. So for instance, we had, we had some debt on yeah. other regional projects that was being retired. Yes. So that was creating some financial capacity for the right. region to step into that. And the province was uploading um, some social service costs. So that also created a little bit of capacity for the region. Oh, so then, not downloading, uploading. <laughs> shockingly, shockingly. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so that created a little bit of financial capacity so that the net impact um, was, the net tax rate impact was about uh, 0.7, 0.8% per year. Wow. So, and I remember, I, you know, Jim Wyden was spearheading this because by that time, there were a few conflict of interest declarations, uh, myself, and then uh, Ken and, and Doug Craig and uh, uh, Tom Galloway, for example. So, so you've taken out, I mean, Ken and Tom not being there would have been like, those are your two most experienced counselors to help steer this, this through. And uh, that, that must have been a bit concerning when you lose it's like a ball team losing their you know uh batters from their the top four positions i mean that is a doug doug less of a concern <laughs> that was probably a benefit that was the offsetting benefit probably with respect to lrt but i was going to yeah. say that uh 0.3 percent so i remember the 1.5 i probably missed that it was two components in the in the six to eight inches of budget documentation that i had yeah. uh, as yeah. a counselor so and the other thing I was going to mention on the inflation factor, you know, that never really came to my attention until we had in, our, in North Dumfries when we had our own facility and our, our staff submitted 2007 numbers for a 2009 build and never factored in inflation. And I can tell you, our cost overruns, one, I think there's a cost overrun just because of inflation, but there was also a cost overrun because during infrastructure, there are so many projects and only so many builders. And sure. so that's going to cause prices to go up as well. And I guess the other factor too, when you look at today with uh, supply chain issues, you can't factor in what the cost of material is going to be, or that's, that's a shock to the system too. So fortunately we didn't end up with that sort of thing 
uh, happening mm -hmm. as well. So congrats on on that great. Um, uh, being able to forecast that, uh, and and you, and you came pretty well within, right? I mean, as you said, the ultimate impact was only. I, I remember Jim Wyden, Wideman proclaiming the uh, I can't the the the, the debt being um, you know finished off, and that this money was suddenly this was not suddenly, but this money was available to help offset that. It was a pretty it was yeah. a pretty happy oh, moment so, you know, for I, him. I think that's like that's that's kind of what you know regional that's great. staff. It's what regional staff do. It's it's yeah. our job um, to basically say, okay, you know, if this is a direction that the region, regional council wants to go, then our job is to say, okay, well, how can we make this happen? You know, yeah. and, yeah. and look at all the yeah. all the options and the financing strategies. And I think we came up with a good financing strategy. Um, and you know, this is jumping way ahead, but <laughs> when the system started up in 2019, 2020, 2019. Um, the financing strategy was intact. It had paid all yeah. of the capital costs and it was adequate to pay the operating and maintenance and life cycle yeah, costs. Yeah, so it held. It right? held. And so that was eight years later, after we'd come up with this strategy, after it had been approved, yeah. subsequent councils had stuck with it. They tweaked it a few times here and there, but more or less they stuck with it. So credit to you know subsequent councils and... We had the financing in place and we'd managed the project well enough that we delivered it within that financing strategy. Yeah, uh, councils, but these, a consistent, these, consistent chair and staff through all that, which helped too. Yeah. You know, it, it's like the stars align just right. It's like when, when uh, we started our little facility project uh, in North Dumfries, it's like we had the right people who showed up to fill the right positions. And I think that's the same with the region. You had the right, I mean, if you look at that staff, uh, the chairs of the different departments, that's like an all-star cast uh, oh, yeah. that the we region had, had at that time. We had an awesome team. Yeah. Uh, we put together, uh, um, we, we called it our uh, rapid transit senior management team. And so that included me. I mean, because it was so high profile, so big, across every department. Well, you had to I, chair that for sure. I chaired it. Yeah. I chaired it. Um, Thomas Schmidt was our commissioner of transportation and environmental services. Uh, he was on it. He was great. Yeah. Uh, our commissioner of planning. So first it was Rob Horn. And Rob Horn, Rod yeah. Regeer. Rob yeah. Horn, Rod Regeer. They were great. Uh, Craig Dyer, one of the best chief financial officers yeah. in the province. Yes. Uh, Deborah Arnold, an awesome uh, regional yep. solicitor. Yep. Brian Stortz, our director of communications. Uh, he's okay. <laughs> so, you know, we had, we had, and then, and then a series of, uh, of rapid transit project directors. Um, Graham yes. Vincent, yeah. Nancy Button, Darshpreet Body. Um, they were yeah, it's just a stellar group and, and 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 rob's role in terms of coming up with that uh development plan for all of the stations along the way right i mean foretold basically the boom that we've seen in waterloo region uh with respect to the buildings okay but let's get back now to that six month period so you know you're starting out uh there's a, you know a little turmoil the chair's a bit earnest about it now he's got to drop off tom drops off um doug and myself we're we're like side sidebar but so what is it you're looking at then during that six months you got the financing which we just talked about what else is relevant that uh is key to, to leading up to that june decision yeah so the the financing strategy was probably the biggest part of it right it's because you know the big debate was can we afford this right and, and you know and the debate i think was it, that was a completely legitimate debate to have. It's like, this yep. is big. This is expensive. Can we afford it? Um, 
I would say the advocates for, for light rail transit were saying, well, can we afford not to do this? So that was sort of the, the debate that was going on. But, but the financing strategy was key because a lot of the focus was on affordability. So it's like, can we make, how can we make this affordable? Uh, so that was a big piece of work. But in parallel with that, we had done huge amounts of public engagement. And so we did another whole round of public engagement through the spring of 2011. So basically now at this point now, we're starting to put in front of people um, financing options, uh, impact on your property taxes. Like, so this is yeah. you know, yeah. now getting away from abstract, like, oh, what do you think of light rail transit? And now it's like, are, you know, what do you think of paying this much to get this kind of uh, project and these kind of community benefits? Right. Yeah. So that was a really important, uh, I think, piece of public engagement. And that culminated, Rob, you may recall this, that culminated in um, regional council hearing public delegations in, uh, I think, late May and June. June um, council heard 100, over 100 delegations over two nights. You know, Jim, and, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy worked hard. <laughs> that was, you know, that was a marathon. Uh, and so, so that was, those were probably the two biggest pieces of work that were going on in that six month period was a lot of the financial analysis and affordability considerations, uh, public engagement. And as I mentioned before, uh, we re-engaged this expert panel to kind of peer review all the work that had gone on. Uh, so, and then so, all of that came together in, in June yeah. of 2011. So two things. I, first, I just want to mention, uh, you're talking about improving the GRT service. And I always remember, uh, the, 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 the group from TriTag and I couldn't have been more impressed with a group of volunteers who had such tremendous knowledge. I mean, the stuff they were coming up with, with respect to improving GRT and services, and, you know, and talking about this route and the timing of that and the connection here, it was phenomenal. Uh, it, they were, it was, it was like, it was totally phenomenal, really impressive. They were knowledgeable yeah, uh, they were constructive. Yes, uh, they were passionate about about transit and and city building. Uh, yeah. So they, and you know they they pushed um, they pushed the region like they pushed regional staff. They pushed regional council. Uh, and and you know what? And um, to their credit, they stayed engaged. Like yeah. this wasn't just a, a one off. You know, they stayed involved over the next you know, five to yep. 10 years. And, no, and they're, they're still passionate transit advocates. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had logic and facts. I mean, that's how you look at, that's how you can fairly push <laughs> when you bring facts to the table and, and make such positive concrete suggestions. And that was always an impressive thing to me. Um, and then also too, I mean, the whole concept. So when you're, when you're re-engaging the team, did anything change from pre 2011, you know, in terms of uh, stations, number of stations or anything like that? Because it was, I guess it stayed Conestoga to Fairview Park yeah. Mall. Yeah, it was, you know, you know what, it, it stayed pretty consistent because the work that had been done in, you know, sort of 2008, 2009 on uh, routes, alignment, station locations yeah. was really extensive. Uh, like it was incredibly detailed. So yeah. it had landed on, um, you know, a pretty good route alignment, pretty good station location. There were a few spots along the route that I think were still sort of open questions. There was some question through Uptown Waterloo about right. how the, the route was actually going to go. 
the and Caroline some, and Herb sort of area. Through yeah, there. there's some really challenging spots, right? With uh, the Urban Caroline intersection, some one-way streets, some narrow streets. Yeah. Um, so there was some questions about how to thread. Um, you know, I, I talk about threading the needle. How do you thread the needle through Uptown Waterloo? Well, that that and, is exactly uh, really what it's like. really challenging. And then related to that, it's like well, especially if when you start to get the system running in one direction on one street and a different direction on the other street, like a couple blocks over, then it starts to become, well, where do you locate the stations so that um, they right. serve people well? So, yep. so there was some question in Uptown Waterloo about the route and exact station locations that I think actually didn't even get resolved in June, 2011. I think that lingered on for probably another six months and right. we sort of did some really, really deep dives into uh, some root alternatives but the and, bulk of it like you know 90 95 percent was um was was done and resolved in so, uh, in so the peer review pretty well affirmed w the work that was done previously yeah it did it did yeah. and, and you know it, it and and they they were um you know they were actually quite complimentary of the work that the region collectively you know council and staff had done um and uh you know, which I think was, it was helpful for regional staff, it was helpful for me as the chief administrative officer to get this, you know, arm's length um, review by, you know, really knowledgeable people who had no stake in this, right? Like they, yeah. uh, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have stake in it. Um, so it was helpful for me as the, as the CAO to get this third party view. I think it was helpful for counselors, um, you know, because I think it was helpful for them to hear from not just regional staff, but from an other group. And then, you know, then there was the 100 delegations too. And I think yeah, that was- I, I think it's, uh, look, I think it's good having been, uh, you know, an elected official and look, I love the staff, but every once in a while, you need to have a third party take a look at it. Like when we brought in uh, KPFG, that's another day. But yeah, I think that's especially, good. Especially on a decision this big, I think for council to get this objective third party view was totally yeah. appropriate. Totally oh, for helpful. sure. Because I remember, uh, you know, Doug Craig, the mayor for city of Cambridge actually got his own assessment about viability and had that report that suggested that the ridership in Cambridge anyway, just wasn't there at that, I guess at that time, I, I don't know if it was like looking at the future to support an LRT. Yeah. And, you know, I think we acknowledged all along that, and, and it still is the case that Waterloo region is probably the smallest community in North America that has a light rail transit system. We knew right. that as we were working on this. Now, having said that, um, the, re the region's population was similar to population of city of Calgary, city of Edmonton at yeah. the time they built their first LRTs. Now they're much bigger now they've grown and they've yeah, expanded yeah, yeah. their LRTs. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think the point that um, this is a stretch uh, you know, that, and that, I know that was the point that, that, that Mayor Craig was making and that uh, the review that he commissioned made the point that, um, you know, the region uh, is at the small end of uh, population and transit ridership that can justify right. an LRT, which we right. acknowledged. And yep. then one thing that, you know, I think Chair Sealing was pretty consistent about saying 
um, and I was, uh, we're not necessarily doing this for today. We are doing this for the future. We're doing it for our yeah. kids and our grandkids. And we may not absolutely need this now, right. but we'll probably need it in 10 years. And in 20 years, for sure, we'll need it. Yeah. And, and to wait, which is something that's when people are saying, wait, just wait. Well, you know what? You're going to get 20 years of inflation. Yeah, the and cost, you're get 20 yeah. years more urban development and probably sprawl. And it's going to be even harder uh, 10 or 20 years from now to actually build it. So and the funding, those are some the of the fun arguments on both right. sides. And it, it took years to get funding. That funding doesn't happen in a matter of weeks. That Absolutely, funding takes yeah. years, to, to, years. Generate. And so, to get to generate. And you got to get the stars aligned and election cycles to align and yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's where regional chair was uh, Ken Sealing was coming from when he said, "Look, we got the money. We got to do this now because you, yeah. you don't get those kinds of funds all the time, and it's hard to coordinate with those upper tiers uh, or, or the higher levels of government to uh, to get those funds." So, okay, so you've got the you've got the financing figured out, and the peer review feedback is good to go. Was there anything else that needed to be addressed uh, before the June? decision no, so no so i think then the only other you know piece of the puzzle for the region and i think for regional council was you know that sort of next round of public engagement and public input and you know the 100 delegations and yeah um, that was uh you know we weren't quite sure how that was going to go and we weren't quite sure what council was going to hear and from whom uh, what was fascinating and encouraging for me were uh, was the 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 diverse views right. that uh, the diverse people and groups that came forward and spoke in favor of LRT? Uh, so some that you might expect. So there was uh, uh, chambers of commerce. They were concerned about costs, but overall said, "Yeah, this is probably a good thing as long as you guys you know manage the costs." Yeah, it's good uh, for the, business. The, the, yeah, tech, the, the tech sector and some of the big tech companies. Yeah. were strongly supportive of this. Yeah. Uh, but then we had people like the Federation of Agriculture. President of the Federation of Agriculture shows up and says, you know what, this is critically important for the ag sector because it's going to help control sprawl and it's going to help protect prime farmland. On and, the and hold the line was a, is a rallying cry in Waterloo Region. Yeah. So that was... So, there, so, you know, there's the tech sector and the President of the Federation of Agriculture side by side uh, I think there was the Labour Council saying this is a good thing. There was the then president of University of Waterloo, uh, David Johnson, you know, for, then became so, governor general. Just on David, though, he's done so much stuff since you think he was only president then. I mean, it's like uh, yeah. you think it was he was president farther back because you know. I know. <laughs> but so, you know, I still remember him coming, sitting in the audience lining up taking his turn for his five minutes like yeah. everybody else yeah you know and waiting for you know two hours while you know a whole bunch of people spoke so you know i just thought for regional staff and i think for councillors seeing you know this diverse group like labor and the ag sector and the tech sector and the post-secondary education sector and healthcare, yeah. we had we had doctors lining up saying you know this is creating a healthy community like all those voices uh those diverse voices um speaking in support now there were uh so i think probably 75 80 percent of the people who spoke right. were supportive 20 25 yeah. were strongly strongly opposed 
And, and I would say probably just about everybody who was opposed, uh, it was a financial argument. It was saying, you know what, this is too expensive. We can't afford this. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that, Rob, you know, to your question. So to me, that was the last piece of the puzzle um, was yeah. hearing from the public. And then I think council was ready to make a decision. You know, yeah, so, so you have to decision. sit back. You're in your office and you're going, okay, look, we got everything done. We can have this vote anytime. Right. right. I mean, yeah, like the, there wasn't a specific date for the vote, but at some point you say, okay, we're ready to have the we basically said we've done all the staff work we can do. Yeah. No council. You need to make a decision. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it was like a hundred and fifty page. Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that long. It was a twenty five page report. And uh, in June of twenty eleven. Right. And uh, you, you were there. Uh, you I, know, I was council, there. Quietly. You were there, but you didn't vote. Uh, <laughs> no. You were there, but didn't vote. Uh, so regional council voted nine to two uh, in favor of uh, the project. And uh, you rarely see moments like this as a as a municipal uh, administrator. But uh, there was a standing ovation by yeah, uh, that uh, I remember. The, yes, the, and the, the place gallery was packed. Was, packed. The gallery was packed. The vote happened. And uh, it was a standing ovation, you know, for the region. And that's unprecedented. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Never yeah. seen it since. And uh, I still remember it. So that was a pretty I, big day. I, I remember there was uh, when the uh, agriculture and the whole hold the line and, and, and reducing sprawl, there were some people that said, well, then we should bring the townships in because it's a benefit to them as well in terms of uh, funding, the, paying for the, for the cost. Yeah. But that's a whole nother issue. So it is indeed. So you, you, it's June uh, 2011 now. That's sort of the start of the next phase. Yep. And would the end of that phase sort of be August 2014 when the when you put shovels in the ground for the uh, facility in Waterloo, uh, sort of the launch of the construction? Yeah, that's probably a good way to look at it. Uh, you could split the next bit up. like uh, so, so I would say the next part that we launched into, I'm going to call it the procurement phase. Okay. Um, and then uh, that phase ended with us selecting um, a partner to actually build and operate and maintain the system. And they yeah. started on the design process. But yeah, take 2010 to 2014 procurement and design and then, you know, groundbreaking in, um, in August of 2014. Yeah, so, August 2014. Yeah, talk about, um, yeah, you know, some of the work that went on then uh, through 20. 11, 2012, 2013. So what was the first thing then you had to do now that, you know, once you got over yeah. the, the, the drunken stupor of uh, celebration? <laughs> yeah, which lasted like, you know, a day or two. Uh, and then it's like, you know, sort of like the dog that chased the car and you caught the car and go, oh, well, now what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Yes. Uh, so I, but I say that jokingly, we, we had a really good, uh, really good implementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, next, the next phase was basically looking at, okay, um, how are we going to implement this? Like, what's the strategy for procuring and building and operating and maintaining this system? Yeah. Uh, what role is the region going to play? And what role are potential private sector partners going to play? Um, typical regional projects get implemented in a way that's called design, bid, build. We typically hire engineering consultants. Right. They design something put together a great big honking tender package, you know, hundreds of drawings and thousands right. of pages of specifications. We put it out to tender, contractors bid on it, 
Yeah. We typically hire the lowest bid and, you know, they construct it. So that's right. design, bid, build. Right, right. Um, so that was an option for implementation, but we thought this, this project is bigger and more complicated than anything we've ever done. And yes. we're building something that we don't have experience operating and maintaining. Unlike other things like roads, you know, the region operates sure. maintains roads and water yeah. treatment plants and waste well, treatment plants. Like, it's not the same as a bus system. Right. So, so then we looked at how other light rail transit projects in mostly in North America had been call it procured and implemented. Right. And uh, one of the things that was evolving at that time in Ontario, in Ontario in particular, in Canada a little bit, was the whole concept of sort of public-private partnerships, or the other term that got used was alternate financing and procurement. Right. So we then looked at a whole range of, of options for involving the private sector. So saying, you know, what role should the private sector play in design? For sure, we need to hire designers. For sure. We don't have the expertise on staff to design this. Construction. We don't build light rail transit systems. We need a private sector partner. Yeah. Then real big discussions about operating and maintenance. Should the region take right. this on ourselves right. or, or should we engage a private partner to operate and or maintain the system? That must have been the more difficult of the three things that you're talking about because you've got a, you know, you've got bus drivers, you've got, you know, union, you've been dealing with that sort of thing. Some people might say, well, this is just a, 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 an extension of that. Yeah. So, so yes, looking, looking at the operation and maintenance was, that was the more complicated part, but what we pretty quickly concluded is um, operating a light rail transit system and vehicle is completely different than operating a bus and operating a bus system, totally different, different expertise uh, needed to operate and maintain it. So as we looked at that, um, we, we, we started to look at what other, uh, you know, trans system operators had done. And we, uh, we basically landed on um, a concept called design, build, finance, operate, maintain. Um, so basically okay. it's bundling up with a private consortium, the design, the construction, the, and the operation and maintenance. And I'll leave out the financing part for now, but the operation and maintenance. So they would design, so, build, operation, maintenance, and the F part of that, the finance part. We'll, we'll come back to the finance part yeah, in a second. Yeah, yeah. And so, so the big rationale for bundling all that together is um, every time you transition from one phase of a project to the next, there's real challenges with those interfaces. So uh, there's always a bit of tension between the designer and the builder. Right. Uh, yeah. And in our typical yes. design build, the contractors always complain about the design package and the engineers always say, well, the, the design is great. The contractor is not competent. You're taking so the finger always, pointing out of, you're taking the finger so, pointing out of this thing. <laughs> so the finger pointing happens at the interfaces between yes, design yes. and construction. Yep. And then once you build something, then there's always tension between the builders and the operators, because you try to commission something, the operators try to commission it. They go, wow, this is really challenging to commission. It doesn't quite gotcha. work as it was supposed to. Yeah. The builders must have messed up. And the builders go, no, 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 this is fine. You don't know how to operate it. So there's always conflict between- Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. 
and the operator. And then there's conflict between whoever's operating a system and whoever's maintaining it. And the people maintaining it go, oh, the operators are just grinding the system into the ground. Or they'll say the builders gave you the wrong equipment or something like that. Right. 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 And the (laughs) operator, the operator will say, no, no, no. The maintainers aren't maintaining the system properly. That's why it's so hard to operate. So as we looked at all of these interfaces, what we concluded was bundling all this up and saying to a private sector team, yeah, you sort it out. Yeah. You sort it out. We actually don't care whether it's the designer or the builder or the operator's responsibility. It's your team's collective responsibility to sort this out. And that's where Uh, litigation comes into play. I know with our facility, uh, the architect had some drawings. There were some issues when the builder was pointing around. And and next thing you know, there was litigation that came out of that uh, because the builder said, I incurred higher costs because the architect didn't do what the, or gave us the proper plans or got what they were supposed to get on time. And yeah, so so you take that, and that's part of that finger pointing. So you take all that out. And so every big project inevitably, has those disputes. And so yeah. what we were trying to do was minimize the risk of those interface type disputes. Yeah. Now, you know, bundling it all up, then that creates some other risks um, and other challenges. Um, and, you know, we're, we're basically contracting out operations. And so, you know, then it's, well, how do you ensure that you've got good accountability and how do you ensure that right. the public service is the way you want it? So there was some other challenges. The other thing that I haven't talked about, but I'll just mention briefly is the finance component. Yes. Uh, and so the advice we got from our procurement advisors, which was uh, uh, Infrastructure Ontario, which is an arm of the provincial government. Yep. And they had provided procurement advice to the city of Ottawa on Ottawa's LRT project. They provide procurement advice to Metrolinx on um, some other big transit projects um, in, tr- in the GTA. Just, just on infrastructure, Ontario, for a second. They were brought in shortly after or after the 2011 vote, or the June 2011th vote? Yeah, yeah. And, and they were, we, we, we worked with them to look at these procurement options. Did the provincial government have, make that a condition of their financing at all? Um, I think, the, I have to look back. I think the condition of the financing was at the very least that we look at or consider um, these other alternate financing and procurement approaches. Right. I don't right, think okay. they, I don't think they dictated the approach we had to use, but they, I think required us to look at procurement alternatives. But bringing in infrastructure Ontario, that was the sole decision of the region. That was the region's decision to engage infrastructure Ontario IO um, as our yeah. procurement advisor. And, and, and uh, probably good because of their experience, oh, right? Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. so we're into, you know, uh, probably close to a billion dollar project and dealing yeah. with uh, uh, multinational engineering and construction and operation companies. Yeah, there's no, re- there's, no the there's, there's no staff so we, at a municipal level that's going to want to be taking that one no, on no. A, so alone. We, <laughs> and, you know, again, I think to our credit, um, we acknowledged what we didn't know. And we yeah, yeah, and that's important. The that's expertise that we, Nothing wrong, we didn't wrong with that. have that we needed to engage, you know. Yeah. So, so we engaged IO, we engaged 
uh, Deloitte, um, you know, good management consultants. We engaged a, a law firm who had extensive experience in these kind of projects. Yeah. We engaged an engineering firm. But where I was going, Rob, with the, um, the finance part, so right. part of the advice we got from Infrastructure Ontario was in a, in a design, build, operate, maintain, also requiring the consortium to put up some of the financing like basically what we required them was to put up $50 million of their own money. So basically the first $50 million of construction costs, we didn't pay. I got and, you. And we said that $50 million of construction costs that you're putting up, we will pay you back in annual increments over the 30 year course of the project. And so basically we're holding some of their money yep. to incent yeah. uh, their adequate performance over a 30 year period. And that's where the right? so I, was, IO experience comes into play, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you might and, not think of something like that. That's a brilliant, uh, brilliant concept. Yeah, and, and even, to, even to get the amount right was, was a little bit tricky. You don't wanna make it too much because right. paying, actually paying significant uh, financing charges on it, um, so, but it has to be enough to kind of incent the sort yeah. of performance that we're looking for, but yeah. not so much to that scare we're paying away. a significant well, or, the, or not so much that we're paying a significant financing premium because we can get money cheaper than any private sector company can get money. Right. And so right. we knew we we're going to pay for that money, um, right? In terms of whatever costs. rate they had to pay to get right. it. Yeah. Right. So, gotcha. so, was, so we had to find the sweet spot, and who knows whether we did or not, but you know, it was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, so that's the model we landed on: was design, build, finance, operate, maintain. Uh, and so, you know, that, that was just a fascinating journey uh, to navigate our way through that, uh, land on the model. Um, nothing's perfect. So there's pros and cons to that model. Sure, but sure. Overall, well, we're, think, we're not here. Look, we're not here to debate that whole thing. We're just talking about which way you went and you yeah. adequ adequately explained why you went that way. Totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. Who? Uh, so the next step then is to get what bid documents together to have some groups bid on. This project yeah, so then we so we landed on you know that approach design build finance operate maintain then we issued it was a two-stage procurement process so we issued a re rf request for qualifications rfq uh so basically you know what are the qualifications of the different teams uh and then we shortlisted down to three teams and then Did you have a lot of teams interested I think there were six teams, maybe six or seven. Well, that's that's not bad are, for you know, a project this size. Yeah. Teams from all over the world. Yeah. All yeah. over the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we shortlisted down to three teams. Then they took probably a year or so to work on their proposals. So we issued an RFP request for proposals, very detailed um, to those. That would be teams. a lot of work to put together, wouldn't it? I mean, that was a, that was a huge amount of work. And so that was work both on the technical side, yeah. uh, basically. And, and what we created, because they were supposed to, un they were undertaking the detailed design. So we didn't do, we and our advisors didn't do the detailed design. What we put together is what's called output specifications. It's here's the output or the outcome that needs to be achieved. Uh. How... The right. how okay. was left to the designers and the builders. So that's where it was different than a normal regional project where 
we would specify right, right. excruciating detail like the paint yeah. color on you know the tiles like we would spec everything here we said you know in in some detail here's the outcomes and outputs that are required team you yeah. tell us in yeah. your proposal how you're going to achieve those outputs and outcomes so you're shifting the work a little bit well because it was a design build yeah yeah right so so we were so they were then responsible for the detailed design and construction which is different than a normal regional project where we would do the design and we'd tender it out to now, a contractor in that scenario i think it would be completely fair and i can't recall if if that was done but uh you would probably pay them some money for the work that they had to put into their bids we did. We did. Yeah. And th yep. that's completely, and totally understandable because they're, they're coming up, they had to come up with the design and spend how long, a year or so to put this it was, together. It was like, it was something like a year. It might've been a little bit less, but there was a huge amount of work on their part to put together yeah. their proposal. Now in their proposal, Rob, they, they weren't doing the detailed design, right? They, but they, to put together their proposal, they had basically to cost it out because they had to give us right. a fixed price. Yeah. So they had to do enough work in their proposal so that they could come up with a good cost estimate. So was it the final three that did that work? Yeah. yeah. So the first yeah. six were, were the first, the, the, the three out of the six was based on like reputation of the company or what you had a list yeah. of things. Yeah. Rep reputation, qualifications, experience, experience on similar yeah. projects, experience with the project team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, experience working together between the team members. And that's um, interesting because they're all like, it's like uh, curling where they go out and get other partners, new partners to put oh, their yeah. four person team together. So they're trying to reach and grab whoever they think is the best in, in show in the different areas. Right. Oh yeah. And, and what's fascinating to watch is over time, different of these companies team up with each other. So yeah. you get different combinations emerging right. on different projects in different parts of the country. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you know, the, then, it, it sort of highlighted some of the challenges. So, you know, um, by, uh, you know, contracting out the design, what it meant is the region was giving up some control over some of the details. And, and you know, that became a little bit of a point of friction sometimes, especially with, you know, some community stakeholders who would have some really specific needs or wants. Uh, so I, you know, we really want a fence here. And, you know, we'd say to them, well, we didn't specify that detail and you know if the contractor includes it it's included if they don't either they don't or it's an extra because they didn't include it like, so, like a so fence was, for noise for example or something or, well, or anticipated well, you know, like, noise i'll give you no it was more, it would be more like oh you know um the fence they're proposing to build is a pretty basic chain link fence and we want something more decorative that looks okay nicer. i and remember the concern of the church uh in down uptown sorry uptown waterloo uh that, where there was going to be a i don't know if it was going to turn or near their church and they had like choir practice or something like that so they were always yeah. concerned about what the potential noise yeah. uh, uh uh situation was going on. I, yeah. I don't know if that ever panned out or not in terms of the they were actual. concerned about noise. I think that it hasn't materialized. There's yeah, so that's what I was curious about. So yeah, yeah. okay. So, so okay, so you're 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 getting all this input, and they're they're putting their together. Um, the the name 
also is uh, the marketing aspect or, or putting a name on this thing is sort of happening at the uh, at sort of a, yeah. in a parallel process. Yeah. So sometime in there, I can't remember exactly 2012, 2013, uh, we went through sort of a whole branding exercise and a naming um, exercise. And I think part of the naming thing was uh, we like at, with most things, we solicited public input and ideas, suggestions about the name. Um, and I think we were very careful not to make it a, a, a vote, a popularity contest. We, we got input and then I think we left it to regional council to pick the name. Yeah, I seem um, to recall that it was a regional council decision. It was absolutely a regional council decision. There's been other organizations that have done, you know, name oh, that train sure. or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah, name and that train. These, these little contests are, uh, they're often subject to people messing with them. And, you know, yes, you get, yes. You know, you get names that you don't really Online votes, with. online votes. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, so Ion, uh, you know, emerged as a, a brand. Um, and I think that, you know, resonated with people. And I like- Well, I remember been, the, the potential usages and what you could do with it. Uh, there were a lot of yeah. flexibility in terms of how it would present as a graphic too. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah so, so it's, and it's kind of nice to have a name to it as well, right? Yeah. When, you, when you're getting and to that So point. then the other thing, Rob, the other thing that was going on at the same time, so then- you know, we went through that procurement process. We we engaged the team. It was called Grand Link. Yeah, I'm going to get back to that. I just wanted to sidetrack for a second on the yeah. Ion name. So, but yeah, back to the procurement process. Okay, once these teams are doing their thing, I guess there's another criteria or some sort of assessment process that goes on. And I also know there was a concern about one member of one of the teams as, as yes, well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You can talk about that if you want. <laughs> well, let's look at it. It's in the paper. SNC Lavalin was, 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 was a part. SNC Lavalin was one of the members of one of the shortlisted teams. Yeah. And there was concern. They were going through uh, allegations about corruption at the time. Yeah. And and so there was a I, there was concern about you know should we allow them to continue as part of the yeah. process. And I think the advice, legal and procurement advice we got was, yeah, you need to let them continue. And the other you part of no it too. Basis, you got no basis for right. excluding them from this process. The other so, part of it too was the suggestion that it was a different department or area of the company versus the group that yeah. was dealing with this project that that was having the difficulties, we'll say, or the troubles. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, you know, there's like so many wrinkles that happened in the course of this project, but that was one. Uh, that, you know, it, it complicated the procurement a little bit, yeah. but, uh, you know, anyway, we ended up getting three proposals from the three shortlisted teams, went through just an incredibly rigorous evaluation process. We had all these criteria, breach criteria, we had all these scoring factors. We right. had separate teams looking at the technical uh, proposals and a separate team looking at the financial proposals and uh, sort of a big Chinese wall or big wall between them. Right. Those yep. proposals were actually held in different physical locations gotcha. um, so that um, those evaluations happen completely separately. And then we put the two pieces together, the technical piece and the financial piece. So was, it, was it like a rating, like a number system yep. on, on either one? And then you just yep. added the numbers together? <laughs> put them together. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But we didn't want, we didn't want the technical evaluation to influence the financial evaluation. Sure, or sure. yep. We didn't want the technical team to know, oh, this team's, you know, 
cheaper, while that may be good, may not be good, right, we did right. not want the, the technical evaluation to be influenced in any way by knowing what the, the, yeah. the, the financial package was. So, so did, was, did the cheapest one win? Uh, so that's uh, never been made public. Oh, okay. And won't be. Uh, yeah, no, it's okay. I, I couldn't recall. But, so yeah, no. The the answer was uh, the team with the highest rating. Yeah, was recommended. Okay, and, and that's exactly how it was set up. Is uh, yeah, perfect. And, yeah, no, and, that's fair. That's yeah. totally fair. Yeah, and so and then, it was within budget, right? Or was it? It was, was within budget. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was okay. within budget. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so the team that was selected and recommended was uh, the team. They called themselves Grand Link. Yeah. And the key players on that team uh, were Acon, a big Canadian construction company, Kiwit, a big US-based construction company. Uh, the operator is a company called Keolis, uh, who operate light rail transit systems all over the world. And then uh, two companies that put up the financing, uh, Meridian and Plannery. Uh, so that was the Grand Link Consortium. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the region has worked with them uh, from, uh, you know, about 2013 uh, and will for the next, uh, you know, 20 some years. From, and, from you know, my perspective, from my we'll, perspective, we'll talk about it later. Go ahead. Yeah. But from my perspective, it looks like it's been going pretty well. I, I like you don't see other than like a bubble. Uh, some issue about a bubble in downtown Kitchener. So, There's so been we'll, no, I haven't seen any big issues about anything uh, with respect yeah, to So, Grand you know, Lake. we'll probably, uh, I think we'll probably run out of time in this podcast. Yeah, we will. We'll We're talk, almost done we'll now. We'll talk about construction. <laughs> we'll talk about construction. No question there were construction challenges. Yeah, yeah. And, Corduroy and, you know, Road and, so, and all that other stuff. And, and it's in the public realm. Um, there was, uh, you know, some claims by the contractor for cost increases during construction uh, um, that the region actually paid, um, didn't pay as much as the, as, as Grand Link was looking for, but, okay. you know, saddled. That um, happens. And uh, it, you know what, it, it's inevitable. It's yeah. inevitable. Let me just ask you quick. I had a note down here about Metrolink's Eglinton Crosstown project. Was that something that was like an example of? Uh, well, so that's, that's an other, a light rail transit project. That, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, has been going on. It, like it's been under construction for probably seven or eight years. Uh, big, big, complicated uh, LRT project. Um, but it was procured in a similar way. Uh, design, build, finance, maintain. And TTC is the operator of that. Okay. So Met Metrolinks will own it. So, right. so all I'm saying, I, I think, Rob, there's, you know, some similarities. It's bigger in way bigger in terms in scope. of okay. open scale and cost. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, I don't know if you want to get into now or was saved for uh, chapter three. Yeah. Is, uh, the other thing that was going on uh, in this whole, same whole period of time was the vehicle procurement. Yeah, yeah, no, we're going to save that for chapter three. Okay. The other thing I wanted to say, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, 2017 was the target for the construction. It was. And was that a bit all, of an aggressive late, target? Late 2017, I think, was the target. Um, it was aggressive. You know, I think one way to manage budget on a big project is to manage the schedule. Uh, so it was aggressive. Uh, I think uh, had the vehicles been delivered on time, we would have been close. Close to closer, that. Closer yeah. to that. Okay. Um, 
So this is, you know, foreshadowing uh, chapter yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The vehicle delays complicated and delayed the project massively. Like so, probably contributed to 18 month delay. Yeah. There were some construction delays too, um, but it was the vehicles I think that so were- So by the time we got to the groundbreaking on August 21st, 2014, we had the, we had the vote of June, 2011. We had a name selected and we had Grand Link selected. Is that correct? Absolutely. And there Grand Link had started their design and started yeah. a little bit on construction uh, up to the point of groundbreaking. And, and we'd ordered uh, 14 vehicles from Bombardier. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so that's where we're going to stop today. And right. uh, we're going to take up the next chapter, which will include things like the 2014 election and a whole bunch of other great stuff. <laughs> Mike, Sounds thanks good. again for coming in today and look forward to the continuing story of ION. Uh, thank you for listening to another edition of the Old Grey Mayors podcast. If you have any ideas for stories or people you would like us to interview or reach out to, please feel free to contact us. And thank you again.